Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to The Art of Being You. I am going to get a little bit personal today, talking about a journey that I've been on for the last couple of years. And, you know, I may end up saying some things that you didn't necessarily know about me, um, but I have been experiencing God doing something in my life over the last, I don't know, six months or so that has really empowered me unlike any other season of my life. And to make this make sense, I kind of have to tell you a little bit of a backstory. So most of you guys know I'm a pastor of a church. I'm a senior pastor. My husband and I co-pastor together, but I'm the senior leader um, of Bethel OKC here in Oklahoma City. And this is a church that we founded and planted back in 2013. And really, we came to Oklahoma City sort of like, you know, big eyed, big dreams, nothing can stop us kind of mentality. I'm, I'm thinking about that uh, party in the USA song that Miley Cyrus put out years ago, you know, I'm stepping off at LAX kind of mentality and vibe. And so we showed up to Oklahoma City with this overwhelming sense of expectation that God had called us. There was literally no question in our mind that God had told us to and commissioned us to go and plant this church. And that's a podcast for another time. In fact, we do talk about it quite a bit over on our Bethel OKC. Uh, you can look at that podcast if you want to know that story. But as we began to fulfill the commission, as we began to do the work of planting a church, we quickly learned it was not for the faint of heart. And for me personally, the first year I was riding on the endorphins and the excitement of the calling. The second year I was riding on the anticipation of the fulfillment. The third year I was really struggling, beginning to struggle with why it was taking so long. And here we are for Grant and I personally on year seven, it's been six years of meeting together as a church, but year seven of contending for the vision. And I can tell you that in some ways, uh, we're still waiting on fulfillment and it's hard. And there's been a lot of times from year three until years, the end of year six, where I really wondered if we heard the Lord, if, you know, it's like I knew we heard God, but I started to think maybe God has decided to do something else. Maybe we missed different components. Maybe through assumption, we thought it was going to look like something that it didn't look like. And I began to have this sort of challenge, deep, deep, deep challenge with the concept of doubt. And I knew that I was doubting a lot. Like I knew it, you know, if you, very few people around me knew, but I was transparent with the people in my life that need to know this kind of stuff. And, and so, you know, I knew I was struggling with doubt. I didn't know what to do with it. And I kept coming back to Thomas, the disciple of Jesus who missed the first resurrection moment for whatever reason, he wasn't in the room when everybody saw Jesus and he is so mad. And not only is he mad, 
You can read this story in the gospels, but he is disappointed and he's struggling to believe the story the other disciples are saying. And he makes this comment. He says, unless I get to put my fingers in the holes of my Lord, I will not believe that he has been resurrected. Now you have to understand these people were very close friends, right? They had been living together, traveling together for three years. So for Thomas to not believe their firsthand testimony is pretty intense. I mean, that's a pretty intense level of scrutiny. And I think that might be why he gets the term doubting Thomas. And so Jesus in his kindness and compassion, he shows up to Thomas and he lets Thomas put his hands inside of the wounds. He says he offers his hands out with the holes from the crucifixion. And he says, look, you can touch them. And then he says this thing to Thomas and to all of them. He says, but blessed are those who believe who do not see. And so Jesus is showing us this really interesting moment in this scripture where he is saying, listen, I have compassion for those who are struggling to believe. I have compassion for those who doubt and I will come and I will tend to you and I will help you. But it's even better if I don't have to do that. I mean, that's sort of the way, right? So I fixated on Thomas being accepted by God and God coming through to Thomas. And I don't dismiss that. I don't necessarily feel like that's wrong if if you're sitting here saying, yeah, that's me. But what I've come to learn in the last six months is that what Jesus was saying to all the disciples, that it's better, blessed are those, blessed are those who believe without seeing that there is a principle in the kingdom of God that is so profound that you can only get when you lay skepticism to the side, when you lay doubt to the side, when you lay unbelief to the side. So so let me get back to my story. So year three to six, I really struggled. I'd have moments where I would meet with God and have these radical encounters with the Lord. And I knew, okay, God, you're holding me. I'm sticking with you. But around year six, I began to feel like I'm not sure I can do this the rest of my life. And really just feeling it was beyond the feeling of unfulfilled. Because to me, when you give your life to Jesus, how you feel about what you're doing is secondary to the calling that he puts on you. So I think that's something that in the world, we sort of idolize this feeling of, I want to be fulfilled. I want to feel like I'm, I I want to feel good about what I do with my life. And in the kingdom of God, we actually lay our life down. So the concept of fulfillment, though, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's sort of an incomplete picture to pursue. But for me, it wasn't, can I be fulfilled doing this the rest of my life? It was God, I, I, I want to be effective. And if I'm missing something, please tell me. And most of you guys know my story. I've had a lot of ups and downs in the last seven, eight years. You know, in 2012, I had a a miscarriage at 40, uh, 40 weeks, no, 20 weeks, halfway through uh, the pregnancy. We lost my son, Kingston, had um, a stillbirth with him that was incredibly interesting and difficult experience. And in the midst of being pregnant with that child, I also found out that I had grown a tumor on my thyroid, which was um, really looking like it could be cancer. So that was cool. And so I had to do a biopsy with that. And then I ended up having surgery on that. The surgery went kind of awry, ended up getting a crazy infection that almost killed me. And that was in 2012. Then fast forward a couple of years, I had bilateral pulmonary embolisms that almost killed me. And that was in, I think, 2016, I want to say, or 2017. Uh, and then I, and so, so I'd had a lot of ups and downs and some other things that don't need to be talked about now. So then 
last September, so a year ago, pretty much right now, actually, um, I was, uh, I found out I was pregnant, which was unbelievably crazy. So this would have been, this is my sixth pregnancy, would have been my fifth kid. And I literally lost my mind for a moment. You know, I, we were basically, we were done having kids. Um, and it was an unbelievably surprise pregnancy. It made no mathematical sense to me for those of you guys that want too much information. And so here I am trying to wrap my head around having another child when I have a just, you know, about to turn three year old. I mean, it was just crazy and four, four kids total. And a few days later, we were eating Chick-fil-A as a family on a Saturday night. I was supposed to preach the next morning. And I kind of was going over my message in my head while we were sitting at dinner. And I began to have this really sharp pain in my back. And to the point where I excused myself from eating and I went and laid down in my bed. And I just knew in my heart something bad is, is happening right now. And ended up being able to go to sleep. So I thought, well, okay, that's good. That's a good sign, right? No bleeding. I woke up the next morning with such an unbelievable pain in my side. And I believe the Lord to give me a word of knowledge. I was having an I had an ectopic pregnancy. So I looked at Grant and I said, I'm going to have to go to the emergency room. He had about an hour before worship practice started. And he said, what do you want me to tell the church? I said, honestly, I'm not ready to just tell everybody I was pregnant and I'm probably losing the baby. I said, can we just say I'm sick or something? And, and lo and behold, one of our friends, a traveling missionary, just texted that morning and literally said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I come to church? You know, and Grant said, would you come and would you preach? And so uh, that that worked out like that. So God totally took care of that situation for me. Uh, and I'm in the emergency room sitting there with my sister-in-law and turns out, yes, it's an ectopic pregnancy that uh, my fallopian tube had burst and they had to take me into emergency surgery. And, you know, after I was home again and sort of processing the reality of that, I just felt like all of my doubt that I'd been wrestling with for the years prior began to overtake me. And I remember a couple days after, you know, it was the following week, it was a Saturday again and, uh, having a conversation with my husband and I said, listen, I, I, I cannot preach tomorrow. I don't have anything left inside of me. In fact, I think maybe I need to quit. I, I just, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's just too hard. And it was a rock bottom moment for me. And that's saying something cause I've had a lot of rock bottom moments in my life. And I remember him looking at me and just saying, listen, if you still feel this way in two weeks, we can have an honest conversation about it. But if you, you know, he said, but I think this is your emotion talking. So let's wait and sit on it. I said, that's fine. You know, but in my heart, I'm going, I'm done. I'm done being a pastor. I'm done. I'm, I'm done putting my neck out there for God. You know, it's just it's too painful. I've been through too many painful things. This is what was going through my mind. And that night, uh, I just randomly had this desire to listen to this webinar about quantum physics and preaching. It's bizarre, I know, but I started listening to it. And through that webinar, my soul and my spirit began to come alive a little bit again. And then I ended up finding a, a preacher who I'd never heard of before talking about his church in Ohio, telling a testimony about what God was doing in their church. And I, I started weeping as I watched this YouTube video. And I said to the Lord, if you can do it in Ohio, you can do it in Oklahoma. And as I listened to these testimonies, it felt like defibrillator paddles came out from heaven and zapped my spirit and brought me back to life. 
And I began, this was September of last year, and I began what's been a year-long journey of all-out war against the doubts that were in my mind. I told the Lord, if I'm in this, I am in this, and there is no margin to believe anything contrary to the things that you have said. And in that process, and I know this testimony is kind of getting a little bit long, but in that process, I have learned so much about the doubt mentality that has changed me and the fabric of who I am. And what I'm seeing happen in my life now is what I believe is the fruit of choosing to enter into the blessing of those who who believe without yet seeing. And this is what I want to tell to you. I want to prophesy this to you. I want to speak this over your life, that if you are in a season of waiting, there is a blessing from God about choosing to move forward, even though you don't yet see. I used to resonate and, and go back to that story in Mark of the father who said to Jesus, I I do believe, help me with my unbelief. And they're having this interesting experience and Jesus is rebuking this guy. He says, if I can help your son, as if, you know, as if you don't know who I am, right? What are, what are you asking for? You're asking the God of all gods to help your son. Of course, if you knew my heart, I would do that. That's the the paraphrase, obviously the, the subtext of that conversation. And I would be like that father just saying, God, help me with my unbelief. But what I didn't understand is that you cannot ask God to help you with your unbelief while you sit and and be chummy with your doubts. It's like they don't go, it's it's basically like pulling yourself to a, a motion of immobility because your forward motion with your right hand and your backward motion with your left, and therefore you are just stuck. And what I have come to see is that I don't believe that God ever shames you for your doubt. Look at how he interacted with Thomas. He came back to Thomas. He allowed Thomas to, to, to have his moment, right? And what's cool about Thomas is after he was convinced, he went on to plant all kinds of churches and do amazing ministry for God. And so I think Jesus was like, I understand you're having this struggle, but let's not pretend that this is the, the, the pinnacle of experience that you have to, to see to believe. Let's understand that it is possible to believe without seeing. When we let go of doubt, what we do is a couple of things. The first thing is this. When we have a promise from God, a prophetic word, uh, uh, maybe someone, maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, I want to get married someday. And, and it's looking like there's no prospects out there for you. And you believe God has told you you're going to be married. Uh, maybe it's that there's a, a job that you want to start, a business you want to start, or maybe, you know, I don't know what the promise might be. Maybe it's just your own personal breakthrough. I don't want to struggle with this sin anymore, for example. When, when we plant that promise in the garden of our heart, but then we keep pulling it up to see if it even was a promise, we're, we're basically killing the fruit bearing potential of that promise. So here's what it looks like. For me, it was, God, I know you've called me to do this. Lord, I know this is your word for us. At least it was your word for us in that season. But is it still your word now? That's where the doubt would come in. And so every time I do that, I I uproot what God is trying to plant so that I can inspect it to see what it really is. Is this still a promise? But every time I uproot it, the roots are not able to go down as deep as God wants them to. So what do we do as the alternative? Instead of uprooting the promise altogether, we press into relationship with God. This was the, the ping pong effect, the back and forth that I had. I knew God had called us in such a dramatic 
dramatic way. And I knew that if he was going to tell us it was time to stop being pastors, that there would be maybe not an equally dramatic thing, but it would be clear. And so in my confusion, in my frustration, I was not pressing into God in the same way that I should have. And so what I began to realize was, Lord, if you want me to be done, I need you to speak that as clearly as you spoke to get started in the first place. And when I began to pray that prayer, it became clear as day. God's not done with this yet. I would be bowing out early. I'd be tapping out early. And then my great love for Jesus came in and I said, God, even if I'm miserable, I want to fulfill the calling that you've put on my life. It's not about me or my feelings. It's about you and the promise that you've spoken. And in doing that, I can examine the process without uprooting the promise. I can examine my relationship with God. Where am I lacking? And here's the thing that that I believe, this might be hard to hear, but I believe this about my own journey and I think it applies to more than just me. I think when we're doubting, it's often because we have a part to play that we just don't want to do. We don't want to participate with God in that way. And so because we don't want to go through that, then we are sort of in this limbo state, which opens the door for doubt. When we're going to go after the things of God, when when we're going to fulfill the callings that are on our life, the assignments that are on our life, then we have to get comfortable with the idea that it's going to be uncomfortable. That God plans to grow you through the things he's asking you to do. That the door of obedience is the door to spiritual maturity. It's the same process. When we say yes to God, we are growing in our faith and in our, who we are. We're growing into the likeness of Christ. And so this all goes together. Are you, are you able to see this picture? I hope I'm painting this clearly for you because as we begin to, to step up in obedience And we set doubt aside and we basically decide we're not going to to uproot and question the promises of God. Then we get to grow in a way that that we're not in the same sort of loop-de-loop going around the same mountain over and over again. So let's talk about faith for just a second. Faith is this interesting thing where we often, how many of us have can believe God to do something miraculous for someone else, but to believe that for ourselves is a whole different bargain ball game, right? It's like, I can believe God will heal you, but I don't know that he will heal me. I can believe that God will, will help you fulfill your calling, but do I really believe he's going to help me? And when we dive into that, we have to recognize that the faith begins personally with trust. It begins with developing trust with your relationship with God. So how do we develop trust? Well, we read his word. We spend time with him. We focus on his character. We, we absorb his presence through worship and prayer. We, we make the, the accomplishment, not the goal. We make relationship the goal. I work a lot with my husband. We, we do business together. We do ministry together. We're best friends. You know, we have a lot of projects together. And if accomplishing the project was the be all end all goal, then we would miss the best parts of marriage, the relationship, the connectivity, the, the depth, that's the best part, right? And so the accomplishments are sort of the avenue we go down to bring about a deeper relationship. It's the same way with God. God is not saying, listen, you got to accomplish this thing for me because that's all you're worth to me. No, he's saying it's in your going to accomplish 
that you and I get closer. And it's the closeness that I want most of all. This is the beauty of partnership with the Lord. So doubt really erodes the relationship. The doubt robs from the intimacy that God wants to have with you. The doubt, it, 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 it causes you to focus on the accomplishment rather than on the one who called you. And this is what I've discovered for myself in this last year is that I feel like my relationship with Jesus has gone to new heights and I already felt like it was at extreme heights, but it's going to even new heights as I've sort of set aside the, the fulfillment component, right? The, the accomplishment component and just said, regardless of what happens, Jesus, you and me until the end, I want to be white, hot, passionate for you all the days of my life. I don't want any hindrance to come between us. I don't want doubt to have a strong enough voice that keeps me from trusting who you are. I don't want disbelief or unbelief to, to be tent, like tempting enough, you know, to be tantalizing, to be alluring that keeps me from connecting to your heart. God, I don't want my, my personal relationship with you to be struggling in any capacity. And I want that for you in your life as well. So what do we need to do to make that happen? Well, we've got to crucify doubt. We've got to put it on the cross where it was killed for, you know, was paid for. And you need to understand this is not a shaming thing. If you're someone that struggles with doubt, do not step into shame. You'll just be trading one issue for another, right? Don't step into shame. Just take it to the Lord and say, listen, God, I want to enter into the blessing that you put out when you allowed Thomas to have his doubts realized. When you gave Thomas that moment to come to you and you demonstrated your character for us. Lord, I want to enter into the blessing that you gave out that's better for those who believe even without seeing. Now, the caveat to this, the balancing perspective to this is that sometimes we become um, in denial where we are just so, we just want to believe so badly that God has said what he said, that we're willing to go a direction that he's not in. And the way that you know that is again, through relationship asking the Lord, am I on the right path? Am I doing the thing you asked me to do? And then trusting him that if you're not, he will make that clear. The way that that works in relationship is that when he makes it clear, you have to make changes, right? That's how you build trust with God. I hope this is helpful for you. I hope this is sort of helping to illuminate the process. Next week, we're going to talk about the process of, of believing and, and creating uh, the, the world you want to live in through our beliefs and our declarations. Um, and I think that's sort of the part two of this process. So I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wartman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.